0: Amen, if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. Hope you all had a good Christmas last week. It's good to see those that were traveling back. And uh, do ask that you continue to be in prayer this week for uh, Angie Russell's family. That funeral will be on Wednesday, viewings on Tuesday evening. Hopefully you received the uh, announcements about that. And uh, also, be in prayer for Ryan Logan, who has surgery this week as well. 1 John, chapter 3, starting in verse 10. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this... And by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before him, before God. And whatever we we ask, we receive from him. Amen. Sends a reading of God's Word. Well, the point of our passage is there in verse 10. And John is telling us, here's what a true believer looks like. He distinguishes, doesn't he, between one called the child of God and someone else called the child of the devil. So in the Bible, here, John, for example, Everyone is not going to heaven, are they? Mankind is divided into two groups. Children of God and children of the devil. The one, John says, practices righteousness. The other does not. And so he wants us to see that. He wants us to look at it. He wants us to know what does it mean then to practice righteousness. The child of God loves his brothers. He loves fellow Christians. He, she loves his brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a test. It's that same test that we've seen before. That moral test of loving one another. So John has mentioned this on a couple of occasions. Even the same wording, right? This is something you have heard from the beginning. And when we dealt with that before, when John mentioned that, Something we've heard from the beginning, we said, well, it could be that like the first time that they heard John preach, he was preaching, love one another. It could have been, since they became Christians, that's something they've heard over and over again, they've heard it time and time again, you should love one another. John is known as the apostle of love, so that would not be unlikely. Unlikely. But it may be that he has another thing in mind. In fact, in this passage, he references, doesn't he, Cain and Abel. So when he says, it's been like this from the beginning, he might really be going all the way back to the beginning. (laughs) Back to the very beginning of the Bible. The beginning of the scriptures. His message is not something new. It's a message. It's, it wasn't new when Jesus brought it. It's not something new that the apostles are teaching. It's there in the whole of the Bible. That God's people ought to love their brothers. It's not something you've heard before. It, this is something you've heard over and over again. It's not something new to you. But here's the danger with that, right? You ever heard the phrase, familiarity breeds Contempt. Now, how many of you have heard you ought to love your brothers? Yeah. You need to listen up (laughs) because familiarity breeds contempt. We hear it so many times. It just washes over us. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard this message all before. No, but you pay attention. John is saying you pay attention to this message because this is very, very important. In fact, it couldn't be more important. So as we look at this, three things. Look at the examination, the example, and the evidence. The examination, the example, the evidence. Look at the exam. Kids, you thought you were out of school for a little bit. Huh? We're going to be thinking about examinations even this morning. Here's the examination. And this examination matters. It's not passing or failing. This examination is life and death. That's how important this examination is. It's not a trivial thing. Verse 14, he says, He who does not love abides in death. So if you do not love your brethren, if you don't love the things of God, if you don't, love, uh, if you don't abide in the sphere of love, then what are you doing? You move in the sphere of death. Verse 15. To be more specific, he says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Now just a couple things with that. Notice how in verse 14. Not loving. And in verse 15, hating. That's the two options, right? Not loving means hating. There's no middle ground. There's no third option. There's no neutrality. There's no Switzerland. You're loving or you're hating. You either love or you hate. You're loving or you're hating. That's the two options. To not love someone is to be, notice this language, a murderer. John, where'd John hear that from? He heard it from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said that if you refer to your brother and call him raka, meaning fool, you've committed murder in your heart, in your mind. You've done that in your thoughts. Notice how John moves from loving brothers in the first part of verse 14 to a more general sense of love in the second part of verse 14. Here is a characteristic of the child of God. The characteristic is this, that you love. It's not a characteristic of the children of the devil. The child of God loves. The child of God loves God. The child of God loves the things of God. The child of God loves the people of God. So this is an examination. It's a litmus test. Am I a child of God or not? And it's an issue of life and death. You're either on one side or you're on the other side. There's no middle ground. So it just was like, John's not a universalist, is he? <laughs> he does not think everybody goes to heaven. There are children of God and they're children of the devil. So here's the examination. Who's am I? Am I a child of God? Am I a child of the devil? Here's the distinguishing mark between these two options, these two positions. Child of God, child of the devil. That's the examination. Then he gives us an example. Notice his example. The examination, now the example. And in fact, he gives us contrasting examples, doesn't he? On one side, Cain, which Aaron read that account for us this morning. Cain. Remember the story of Cain and Abel. It's here in verse 12. We shouldn't be like Cain. Now I do want to just real quick side note, he is he has no problem drawing out this moral, ethical imperative from a narrative account. Some people say you shouldn't do that. You should only take imperatives and instructions from uh, uh Passages that are meaning to instruct you on how to live. No, he's got no problem going to a historically narrative account and drawing out moral implications from it. So, what's he saying? Note Cain. Think about who Cain is. What are Cain's qualities? What are his characteristics? And don't be like that. Don't be like Cain. And what was Cain? Cain was a murderer. Now this is astonishing. Aaron in his prayer mentioned our depravity. Isn't this a, a, just a... Here's the first child ever born. First boy ever born. The fruit of Eve's womb. What is the consequence of the fall? He's a murderer. He's a murderer. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us the specifics back in Genesis. People have tried to come with some kind of suggestions. Abel's offering, we know, was acceptable to God. Cain's offering was not. It may be, as some have suggested, that Abel's offering was a blood sacrifice and that Cain offered the fruit of the ground. It may be, that Abel understood the way of salvation, the way of forgiveness, that without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sins. That may have been the case. It may have been that Abel fully understood the way of faith, the gospel, the gospel that was presented there in Genesis 3.15. And Cain does not understand that. What we do know from Hebrews chapter 11 is that Abel offered his sacrifice, whatever it was, he offered it by faith. And the implication then is Cain did not offer his sacrifice by faith. Cain's is a faithless offering. And whatever is not of faith is sin. And as a result, Cain killed his brother. The word that John uses is a strong word, graphic word. So, cuts his throat. You could literally, you could translate this: slaughtered him or butchered him. So I know if you've seen some little cartoon, you might have a guy hits a man in the head with a rock. And just, no, 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 slaughters him. Brutal. Cain reveals himself to be a child of the devil. Jesus said, didn't he, that the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning. Well, why? Why does Cain kill Abel? Was it because Abel was evil? No. It's because Abel was righteous. It's out of jealousy. It's out of envy. Cain kills his brother. And John tells us, do not be like Cain. Don't be like that. Now, none of us like to think of ourselves that way, do we? None of us like to associate ourselves or put ourselves in the same category as a man or a woman at the penitentiary doing time for murder. We don't like to put ourselves into that category. Yet the Bible says, Jesus says, John reiterates it here, that if we've thought hateful thoughts, we've committed murder. And John says, don't be like Cain. Be like Jesus. Notice he does that, doesn't he? He draws this moral, ethical implication from the death of Jesus. Now I want to say this. This is not all that the death of Jesus was. In fact, theological liberals, this is all they want to talk about, is the good, the ethical part of Jesus' death. They want to deny substitutionary atonement altogether. They're wrong. But there is a moral example as well in the death of Jesus. John has already told us several times, hasn't he? Through this epistle, he's going to say it in the future as well, the purpose... of the death of Jesus, was to shed his blood in order to provide a sacrifice for our sins. We've seen that he is the propitiation, right? So the wrath of God fell on Christ as our substitute. We know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, and that blood that was shed was the blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary, and all who trust in Christ have their sins forgiven. That's true. And in addition to that, there's the sense in which the death of Jesus is an example to us. You see it here? You see it in Peter? There is a moral imperative for us now, that happened. Scripture says, he who thought it not robbery to be equal with God made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself. He was found in the fashion of as a man, in the form of a servant. He became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And Paul says, let this mind be in you, a mind of self-denial. A mind that's given for the sake of others. An attitude of humility. It isn't always standing on our own rights and our own privileges. Jesus said in the upper room, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so John says here, verse 16, we are to lay down our lives. It fell all the way. Thankful for deacons. Deacons. Is this on? Yes, it is. You know what? That's going to be way... All right. So, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Verse 16, John tells us, we should lay down our lives for the brothers. There's an ought to... There's an imperative. This is a command. This is what it looks like. This is what we are supposed to do. If you are a child of God, this is what it looks like. Don't be like Cain. Be like Jesus. So the examination, the example. Now, where does that leave us? Believe the evidence. So what evidence is found? When you exa- that examination takes place, when you see it, when you compare these examples, believe the evidence. Believe it. And this is, this is where John, his emphasis is, right? So this book has been written for purposes of assurance. He's given these tests of assurance. He's saying by doing this, by working these works of righteousness... We are. We are demonstrating, aren't we, that we are children of God. Pause there. John is not saying that this is how you become a child of God. He's not saying if you love your brothers enough, you become children of God. That's not how you become a child of God. You are not saved by your own efforts. You're not saved by your own good works. You're not saved by loving brothers. So don't ever think... Oh, if only I love people enough, I'll go to heaven. No, you won't. We're saved by faith alone and Christ alone. So nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross of Jesus Christ. I claim that he died for me. But the evidence, what's the evidence that I have genuine saving faith? I love the brethren. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, if that's the case, if I'm loving my brothers and sisters in Christ, I should believe that evidence when I see it and know I'm a child of God. Now, a couple things. Verse 20. This is, tough. This is a tough passage here. Verse 20. John says there's a scenario, there's a situation in which your own heart condemns you. You're a child of God. You've got faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven, you're on your way to glory, but your hearts are condemning you. You're under conviction for sin. And where our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. So I it's, said it's difficult, this is a difficult. And you could line up the commentators and that list is going to be long on both sides. One list of commentators. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you these two uh, positions, and then we're just going to talk about practical implications of this passage, okay? First position. This is what Calvin set forward. Calvin says, John's giving you a word of comfort. Because you find yourself, you you want to love the brethren, but you fail. And then you read the scriptures, or you listen to a sermon. uh, You you listen to when your brothers and sisters in Christ is there admonishing you. And your heart condemns you. So what should you do when your heart condemns you? I should look to Jesus. I look to God, and God is greater than my sins. And God has forgiven me. And he's forgiven me in the name of Jesus Christ. And so if I look to him, if I look to the cross, I look to Jesus, my heart is going to be comforted. That's one position. Luther's position was the exact opposite. It says it's not a comforting verse. There's no comfort here. Luther's is says that what John is saying is that you think your heart's condemning you? Well, you don't know the half of it. You don't know the half because you've actually got sins that you don't even know you're committing. Your heart is far worse than you could even imagine. You think your heart is evil? You think you've got a propensity to sin or to walk in the ways of darkness? You feel condemned. Well, you don't even know the half of it. But guess what? God does. God knows all of it. Now, most of us prefer that first interpretation. We like comfort. But legitimately, it could be either one of these. Some. Calvin Luther, take your pick. I don't know. But I want to get, for us, we need to consider it very just practically, though. Try to ascertain what, what's he talking about. What does John actually mean when he says love the brothers? That we should love the people of God. What exactly is this test? So, first, let's distinguish between... Loving and liking. I think that'll be helpful for us. Loving and liking. Not every child of God is equally likable. Did you know that? I know that we all try to be nice. But the reality is everyone is not equally likable. Let's be honest. There's some people we don't like to be around. For lots of reasons. They're, they're saved. They believe in Jesus Christ. They've repented of their sins. They're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. They are children of God. They're on their way to glory. They're going to be in heaven. But boy, they irritate me. <laughs> Personalities great against one another. Oh, there's something about, I'm not drawn to them. We're very, very different. And it's hard to be around certain people. And so there's a difference between loving someone and liking everything about them. You don't have to like everything about everyone. A matter of fact, you can say, I think you're wrong. We live in a world that says you can never tell people they're wrong. That's not true. We live in a world that says, if you don't affirm everything I say and feel, that you're doing violence against me. The Bible says, no, no, no. I am to love you. And I can say that you're wrong. I don't have to like everything about you. It's not, it's not his point here. There are some who are children of God. Mm, I, there are lots of things that I don't like. Now, this is the hard part. You can also turn that, uh, that around. Did you know there are things about you that other people probably don't like? I know, hey, I know that person's probably just not very sanctified, but the reality is there are things in your life and your personality and who you are that other Christians, for one reason or another, they might not like. yep. Both trusting the blood of Jesus. Yes, both uh, uh, fighting sin. It, you don't have to like everything about a person. Whatever, whatever it is, there are people in the kingdom of God that you might not necessarily like. But here's what the Bible says. You've got to love them. Spouses, you know the difference, right? There's things that your spouse does that drive you up the wall and you don't like. But you love them. You love them. You don't have to like everything they do. Karen doesn't like my snoring, but she loves me, thank God. You're to love them. And you're to love them as Jesus loved the church and gave his life for her. So, there is a difference between loving and liking. Second thing, personal friends. What about personal friends? So, there's some people, though, that are easy to love. Because they're just like you. It's easy to love the people that are just like you. It doesn't cost me anything to love people just like me. The test is when I love somebody that I actually don 't like, or they don 't like me, I love them it's regardless of that I love them. The temptation is this: when that there 's elements of, of that they don't like in my life or they don't like in my personality or, or I don't like in their personality or I don't like in their life. The, the temptation is evil thoughts creep in. Thoughts that turn into hateful thoughts or jealous thoughts or spiteful thoughts or condemning thoughts. That's the temptation. But it's easy. It's easy to love people just like I, I am. But do I love people who are not like me that are very different from me let's take it one step further there are some people that we like more than others does that sound biblical some people that you could like more than other people there's some people that you like a great deal we have societies we have communities we, as children of God, in a church together, we have personal friends. Can I tell you that's okay? It's all right. It's a good thing. You know how I know that? Jesus had personal friends. So don't see a couple personal friends and say, Oh, Kevin and Brad, they always sit right there. They must, they've got a click going on over there. No. They might just be good friends. It's a good thing to be good friends. Personal friends. And you know it's a good thing because Jesus had personal friends. Right? There was an inner circle. He had the 12 disciples, but there is an inner circle of those 12 disciples. Can anyone tell me anything about Thaddeus? No, you can't. Can anyone tell me anything about Judas, not Iscariot? No, you can't. Can you tell me something about Peter? Yeah. Even closer than the inner circle, do you know what apostle was the apostle that Jesus loved? John. Who writes that under the inspiration. You'd have to be in the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the one that he really loves. <laughs> but he does. He does. John is close, personal friend of Jesus. And so in this sense, the incarnate Jesus, in his life, what does he do? He identifies with our humanity, of our needs, of friends, and we see it in his life. He's got friends. He's got close, personal friends. It's a good thing. So this commandment to love one another does not preclude that. doesn't remove the fact that, hey, there's some people who are close and there's some people who are personal friends. All right? Third thing. It'd be very possible to study this passage, to read it, to read what John says here about loving the brothers, to follow the logic of this passage, uh, to read it, to study it, and you walk out of these doors here, and you say, wow, wasn't that wonderful? Man, I, that was so great. I, I just, I agree with that Oh, it was glorious. Oh, Got goosebumps thinking about it. I just love, love, right? Oh, it was so wonderful. And it's all head knowledge. It's all up here. And you walk out those doors, and it's all in your mind. And this is what John says. Here's the real test. What do you do with this? what do you do it's one thing to sit here in the pew here on this morning to hear what john's saying about loving the brothers you can be convinced by it you can nod your head you can shout amen with it but john's saying here's the real test verse 17 here's the scenario you've got all the world's goods that's you right now you've got all the world's goods but your brother in need you see him and you close your heart towards him, how does the love of God dwell in you? I I wonder, in in God's providential care, has he made a need known to you? Maybe somebody in this church, maybe somebody who's lost a job, maybe someone who's going through a dark providence at this time, and they are in need, and you've got the world's goods. The test is, what do you do with it? Because you can talk, you can read, you can study, you can listen to all the sermons, you can come to all the worship services, sing all the songs, but here's the test. What are you going to do with that need? This is where the rubber hits the road. Somebody is in need. God has brought it to your awareness. You know of that need. What are you doing with that? That's the test. That's where the response is shown if you're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. (laughs) In my own heart, i like a dagger just mulling over that, thinking through that. So, how do we respond? We respond in obedience to the word of God. We want our love, one for another, to be more than lip service. We we, we want it to be displayed by our actions, our deeds toward one another. Let's pray. Let's pray that God would help us uh, to see uh, that and to apply it in our own lives. That we would be fully convinced and declare ourselves, friends, to be children. Of God let's pray shall we Lord would you by your Holy Spirit apply uh, this word to our own hearts that we would know ourselves that we are children of God Lord, even when our own hearts condemn us, Lord, let us look for the evidence and believe it. Lord, I pray for those who are not your children by trusting and placing their faith in Christ. May they know the truth that they are children of the devil, but the sweetness of the free offer of salvation to all who would trust in Christ. And may they respond, not by trying to do better, but by trusting him who has paid the price for their sins. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.